everybody. Welcome back to Yo MTG Taps. Woo! What? What? <laughs> I'm Big Ed Joe. And I'm Stephen Marshall. And we're joined today by the winner of our Twitter Ask Us a Question using our obnoxiously long hashtag contest. And you could win a Jace contest, Daniel Hall. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Big Head Joe. What's up? So uh, we're going to, first of all, before we let Daniel ask his question, we're going to all talk about our pre-release experience because, as you all may know, by being Magic players and existing, the journey into Nick's pre-release was this past weekend, and hopefully you got to play in one or multiple events. Um Daniel, why don't you start off? Uh, first of all, um, Daniel, this is not your first podcast appearance, correct? No, it is not. Actually, um, not too long ago, I was on the Pit Imps podcast. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, I haven't listened to Pit Imps yet. Um, I do plan on listening to them because they have a really cool setup with their show. Uh, we're really bad at the Facebook here at UMTG Taps. Um, I just hate Facebook as a as a platform in general. Um, I can't believe I paid you to be my social media advisor. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's just, it's, I hope it's, to God you didn't pay too much. He, he threw me, he tossed me a quarter and a half eaten slice of bread. And I was like, you well, paid him too much. Like, that's what you're going to get. Um, so, uh, what's really cool is that pit imps actually understands the Facebooks and what they do is they interact with their fans, um, on their Facebook group. And then they have, uh, listeners, that are in the group on the show to uh, just join the show and uh, add to the conversation. So I think that's a really cool thing. Um, I always like it when um, shows are actually building the community. So they're really cool. I just joined their Facebook group and we'll listen to them soon. Um, apparently uh, they also have a sub show called imps prison where they talk, they bring other podcasters on and talk about non magic stuff. Uh, I'm a big wrestling fan. Steven's a big basketball fan. I'm sure if you want to, have either one of us on there to talk about a basketball wrestling hybrid sport uh, that we could invent <laughs> on the spot. Uh, you know, just shoot us a line. You were on there talking about your uh, GP Cincinnati experience, right? Yep. Yes, I was. I was talking about the experience. People I got to meet. I mean, actually, one of the guys who I consider one of the local stores I go to, he made top eight. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, which uh, episode of Pit Imps was that? The episode I was on was episode 62, Tasty Internet Gnomes. Sweet. So uh, you can check that show out uh, to hear Daniel, or you can keep listening. Uh, you know, you could do both, preferably. Um, so, uh, you know, shout out to Pit Imps. It's really cool what you guys are doing, despite your geographical handicap. Go Ravens. So, moving on. Uh <laughs> Tell us about your pre-release experience, Daniel. So where are you from, and uh, where did you play, and how did you do? I am from Milan, Indiana, which is, if you, if you ask the rest of the world, it's pronounced Milan. I played at a, a comic book store called The Grinning Goblin. They're a new store um, that just opened up fairly close to my house, a lot closer than where I used to travel. Gotta love that. I used to have to travel 45 miles to be able to play. Ugh, jeez. Any event, any event, actually, if you, until they opened up, if you looked in between Cincinnati and Indianapolis on 74, there was not a uh, shop in between, in between there. Oh my goodness. So that's pretty brilliant uh, marketing on their part, I'm guessing. 
well, it's just to have a store there. I'm hoping they survive. Actually, they um, this week they moved into a larger location. Good. Well, that sounds like they're not doing too bad if they could afford to do that. Yeah. So, Good. yep, they had about they had a little under 50 people at the pre-release, and it was a midnight pre-release that I got to go to. I went f- four and one. Only losing in my final round, I was playing green-white good stuff. Mm-hmm. I chose the green-white pre-release um, box, and I got a Athreos, but I didn't play it because my play- black really wasn't good. I'd have to say um, the highlight really was having a um, Sedge Scorpion with first strike because I had an ar- archetype of courage on the battlefield as well. Yeah, I got eight packs for getting third place. I have to say, though, the best thing I saw was um, the next day I was helping um, with answering judge questions at the at the store, and somebody called me over because they had their baron, bearer of the heavens destroyed because he was attacked by another bearer of the heavens. If you don't know which what card bearer of the heavens oh, is, <laughs> um, that's the... Um, eight cost ten ten. Whatever bearer of the heaven dies, destroy all other permanents at the beginning of the next end step. They were asking because um, one of them wanted to know he had a blind fighter bestowed on his bearer of the heavens. He wanted to know if it survived, which it doesn't. Because <laughs> hmm. well, they all like the one all permanents. Yeah. yeah, one one. Yeah, exactly. One will <laughs> resolve and everything will die. So yeah. Oh, that's hilarious, though. Having one attack into the other—that's that's pretty ridiculous. That's a that's a board state I just can't even begin to imagine. Uh, but that's cool. That's awesome. So it sounds like you had a really great time. Um, what? Uh, just out of curiosity, what what green cards um, drew you into that color combination along with the the white? Uh, well, I had two of the um, oak heart druids dryads. So the one, one that plus one plus one count or plus one plus one to end a turn. Yeah, that's the constellation that... card. Yep, and I also had the testing tactics. Okay. And um, Centaur Battlemaster, and I it was the one that would give me the most creatures and give me some two drops and stuff, but I also, I did actually splash a little black in the deck for a Reaper of the Wilds. That's a good thing to splash black for. I'm guessing you had some Nylea's presence and things like that to do that with. I had a Font of Fertility uh-huh. and Traveler's Amulet. Sweet. Uh, that'll work. Um, now, I'm just curious. So you splashed black for the Reaper, but you had an Athreos and didn't play it? I really didn't have enough permanence to make sure it could turn on. I did not think it was enough for me to play another card when really I would ri- like to have had it on turn three or turn four before yeah. creatures would start dying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, we can get it. Well, get into that. But I had one, and I did splash to play it. Uh, the benefit, I think, is just like having that extra option of maybe getting the creature back, just putting them on a clock. If it turns on, I feel like it's almost a bonus. Um, I like it, especially if you have like, like Reaper. First of all, you're getting the Scry, you get the creature back. You know what I mean? A couple of those things together are a little magical Christmas land, but not so much so as the interaction that I wanted to make happen in my solo event. But uh, again, uh, we'll get into all that. But it sounds yeah. like it sounds like you had a pretty solid, uh, solid deck and solid experience. Uh, were there any cards oh. that um, you liked better than you expected, or liked? Like or disliked more than you. All right. So, do you know? I'm sorry, next fleece ram. Uh huh. That was actually one really good card. It's a great card. I think it's. Great. It holds the ground well. 
It's an enchantment for things that need, need tr- enchantments to trigger, mm-hmm. like armament and Nexus, giving something double strike. But I was I had pump spells as well as two ordeals to be able to put on an exclusive ram. That's amazing. Well, I did uh, for Theros pre-release. Uh, we did two at a giant, me and my buddy Alec, and we had a uh, yoked ox that was up to I think six ten and was like every ability and was just like destroying our. We we basically won with it with a yoked ox that was completely suited up. Um, and that's and the one the, thing that's sorry. The one thing that's awesome about the Nyx Fleece Ram that I like wouldn't have even noticed if someone didn't expressly say it. I think it was on limited resources, maybe they said it, that it doesn't have Defender. Like you look at that thing, you go in O five and you're like, Oh, cool. Okay, it's a wall. But it's not, it can attack. <laughs> it's uh Yeah, there's a there's a few of those. Like the um the sigiled starfish that doesn't uh-huh. have Defender. Yeah. Um there's yeah the Nyx Fleece Ram and then I think Yoke Docks itself doesn't actually have no of course not nope it doesn't um, yeah another good card that I thought was interesting that I think and you brought up limited resources I think Marshall and them gave a little bit to they poo pooed on it a little bit with the Armory of Iros Army of Aroas yeah yeah it's good it it does its, its job it, I once I was able to start being aggressive. If I could, like the ram, the ram was this thing made it very easy for it to be aggressive. That's fun. Like thinking about putting that on the ram, <laughs> it's like you have very little like risk to swinging with it if they're not like super aggro, and you're just building up this unkillable monster. The thing I really like about the armory of Aroas is that it's. Like, it's almost like getting a heroic trigger every turn. A lot of the equipments, I don't want to play them because they don't trigger heroic. But it pretty much just triggers heroic every turn, you know, like, in a small way. Um, So it feels worth it. It feels, like, profitable to play. I never, I didn't wind up playing it, although I kind of wanted to. I just didn't really see a cut for it. Um, But it, yeah, I can can see how that would do uh, a lot of work. It seems like it'd be the... The fa- what, what I want the Ferris Band Tromper to actually be, because because it, it feels like I'm always like just like one like toughness or power short of actually being able to get that first inspired trigger like rolling with him. Yeah, uh-huh. but uh, I, I didn't actually get to play with Armory, but it seems like that would be it would operate how I wanted the Tromper to actually actually work, where you actually get the the trigger and the plus one plus one counter on the actual swing. Right, right, yeah, that would be so much better if you were like I have a four. A three three for four when it attacks, I get a counter. You know what I mean? And then you're like swinging with a four four for four, and it's really strong. You have that one turn where it's in lightning strike range, but then it's online, and you're pretty much good to go. Yeah, I can totally see how that would be, uh, how that would work. Um, I also brought up that I pl- was playing Armament of Nyx. I sort of can see it was normally a defang, but when you actually got it onto a any of an enchantment creatures, especially like the Oak Heart Dryads. Yeah. It was just backbreaking. Yeah. I, I feel like I really undervalued that card as a removal spell. Um, I was playing a deck uh, that had a decent amount of enchantment creatures in, uh, in the solo event, but I just feel like I was, I don't know why I just was hesitant to put it in because I was like, I don't care about preventing damage dealt to a creature 
or, or, or dealt by a creature. I don't know. It was just one of those things where I was just like hesitant to play it, and then I feel like maybe I should have, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to probably give it a little more serious consideration uh, going forward, but um, was resistant to it for whatever reason um, at first. So uh, was there any anything else you want to talk about from your pre-release experience? Not that I could really think of. I mean, it was fun. I stayed out until 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> those are uh, those are always pretty wild. Uh, I only played in one. Cool. So, yeah. So, uh, Steven, first of all, uh, you played in a midnight, right? Yeah, I was the uh, – what happened? Okay, so I, I didn't initially plan on playing in the midnight one, um, but I was out with some friends, and their plan was to um, go to a comedy show featuring uh, Screech from Saved by the, the Bell. Um, and, and no offense to Mr. Screech. I, I'm sure it was a great show. Uh, I kind of just decided to improvise and uh, opt out of that. And uh, I just searched locally for, for, for a store nearby. Uh, I just called them up to see if they were doing a, a midnight pre-release and, and if they had any slots. And they're like, sure. So I... I I went on down there and I signed up for um, just I think I literally wrote just default under color because like, I didn't care just whatever anyone didn't want to play because I didn't want to like take someone's color um, so that I ended up with blue because it seemed like uh, blue and red were the least popular color choices uh, amongst and that's the a little surprising because I saw a lot of the blue players at least at my store um, up and around the top tables because their pre-release promo card was pretty good for some reason I guess I was just like confusing things with draft where there's like you know it, it tends to be a pretty aggressive and a pretty fast format um with with sealed versus draft especially for theros block uh you could actually get up to six or seven drops and and when you do with um you know four four or five islands out i mean that's just it's just backbreaking but it seems like white green and then black if i had to rank them were the most popular uh colors in terms of like the packs that people wanted uh so yeah i took blue and i just made like a uh, I actually, uh, it was in an article I read, I think it was by Ari Lax about, no, it was, I think it was by Tom Ross actually, uh, about actually like setting up, uh, cause he likes to play, uh, sealed decks. He likes to, he likes to play on the, the draw, like he just chooses the draw. And so I think the article is about, um, setting up your deck and, um, like you actually have to like design your deck with that in mind. So like, uh, I actually ran when I probably wouldn't at least going into the format, I think I'd run more than one, but I ran, I think two of the sigiled starfish, which is just a great, you know, uh, early game, aggressive stopper. And then it'll also like, especially benefit you if you're on the draw, um, you're just going to get to see an insane number of cards. Um, so yeah, I built basically a blue green dirtle deck until I get to the, the high end. And I also had the, uh, green mana elf, the two one, um, Golden hind. yeah, he was great. Um, and so I, I had a, a decent number of two drops that actually had utility to get me to the end game and the, um, the golden hide and the sigil starfish, uh, still sigil starfish was just way better than I expected it to be. I, I thought I might like, yeah, as an experiment game one, I ran two of them and I was like, okay, I'll be prepared to side these out. But, um, scry is just great when you're trying to hit all your land drops and set up your, your five, six and seven drops even. So I actually do have a, um, standard question. Do you think that the starfish may be able to transition over standard or no? Uh, I am the absolute wrong person to ask since I never play blue in, in standard. True, you're um, a hater. Um, I am. I am a supreme hater on I, on, on the blue color. I don't think so. Um, just because is it is it one blue? It's, it's one, one in a blue. It's, 
One, one in a blue? blue? No, I don't it's think so. It's almost the same. It's Argyrobolus. Yeah, I mean, I just mm. feel like, yeah, I guess, I just feel like you're going to want to do more in your two-drop spot. If you're playing, like, a, I don't know, I think, like, the blue control decks just probably want to play another Scryland, and the blue, um, like, devotion decks want to play something that's a little more aggressive on turn two. Um, and I just don't know if it's better than, like, than the other card draw spells um, in in standard, I, I I I don't I don't think I don't think it'll see play. But I'm also yeah. not the best person to, I to think, ask. I think in that slot, either Omen Speaker or if you're going to play green, uh, Sylvan Serrated or Bear, just because you either get Hexproof and Ramp or um, a one three, which could actually you know if you're trying to do an anti aggro uh, two drop, it it could actually like block um, some of the more aggressive creatures in standard profitably. Um, but I, I do secretly like playing blue since I played so much in limited. Like That's I was, funny. I, you know, I had, I had dissolve in there. I had all my deck manipulation. I'm like, Oh, this is great. Um, I was even doing, uh, maybe you should take the plunge, man. No. Um, play some Esper control. <laughs> take the plunge. I play mono blue right now in standard. I might, I, I, I might do a mono blue variant in standard at He's least once. He's got the blue deck built. It, it, I mean, it play, it fits to your play style. I mean, like it's, it's an aggressive deck. Yeah. It's a beat down deck. Yeah. Um, but what I liked with the starfish is just like, um, since I was running, I think four or five drops, including the, uh, fleet feather cockatrice, which was just really, 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 really good. Oh, uh, that card's so sweet. It's yeah. ridiculous. It, I, I was so hoping I would open one of my pool and like, it's, it, it's, it's a mythic rare. Like, I mean, basically, <laughs> right. I mean, no, I'm serious. Like in terms of like power level, I think it's a mythic rare. I mean, if they put that many lines of abilities on it, it's. It's got to be good, yeah. It's like Flash Flying, Death Touch, Monstrosity. I mean, um, that's doing a lot of work right there. That's basically Mythic Rare. So, yeah, with that with that deck, I was actually getting to play kind of like a lot of it at instant speed because I had some Dissolves in there, um, Hubris, uh, the the Cockatrice. I had um, Any the Blood Siren. Hubris? What's up? Yeah. Oh, actually, I did. Um, I was getting beaten down, and it's probably not the best, but I... I had the um, uh, Crystalline Nautilus, mm-hmm. and I put it on their biggest creature with enough mana up to also do Hubris. Oh, wow. Um, so I was swinging over in the air, and it looked like they had Lethal on the crackback. And, um, but, I mean, you know, it's a pretty big tell when you have mana up and you bestow your Crystalline Nautilus on their largest creature. Probably when, when a they, tell. <laughs> when they have Lethal on board. Yeah, probably um, a tell. But, you know, they still, they still swing in. And, um, you know, I've only left one creature back to their three, but I was able to, you know, hubris the creature, which caused him to sacrifice it so it didn't even go back to his hand. Um, and then I get the Crystalline Nautilus to block his other creature with. So instead of him swinging with three against one of my creatures, it was him swinging with two against uh, two of my creatures, which was uh, Wait, it was pretty nice. But doesn't hubris bounce the enchantment too? No, it wouldn't because the um, Nautilus gives the um, sacrifice trigger to the creature. That's oh, you're right. You target that's it, yeah. So it sacrifices it. You don't have the, the trigger. You don't have the target. Wow, anymore. yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's nasty. I love so, it. So, <laughs> so that was that was the blowout. That was the biggest yeah. blowout I could think of. Oh man, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was pretty fun. I was having fun with my blue. Um, so how did that you doing then? Uh, I was actually two and one going into the last round. Um, the the one round I lost was uh oh it was the the red card the new um uh act of treason yeah 
Um, uh, how, did, how many did he get? A three. <laughs> wow. He just top decked it like it just destroyed me. Um, so that was for one game. And then the second game, um, since he was running that card main deck, uh, in addition to um, uh, Portent of Betrayal. So he had another uh, threat effect uh, for some reason. So he's doing that kind of stuff. So I thought for some reason well, that. was really good against big creatures. So it, It's great. Yeah. So, But I also had Hypnotic Siren. And for some reason, I was doing the math as if that, like, you know, untapped and gave haste. <laughs> but it just doesn't. I just took control of his tapped creature, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I did that math wrong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was unfortunate. But uh, I actually had to leave because um, I decided to do the uh, midnight pre-release into the morning pre-release at a different <laughs> store into a basketball game after that. Uh, wow. <laughs> so it was, uh, uh, I decided to go all out this weekend, but um, <laughs> it, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing any more of the, the midnight pre-releases. I was the, the grizzled, the grizzled veteran cop saying I was too old for this. Yeah. I was like, I'm getting too old for this. Um, uh, so then you played in the, in the morning event and you built uh, like, the most uh, greedy aggro deck I've ever heard of. Well, yeah. So um, I actually did a, just cause I was bored and wanted to take the tumbler out for a spin, the yo MTG tumbler or yo MTG taps tumbler. Uh, I reviewed my, my favorite uh, three commons in each color uh, for the new set. And um, I think for red, I put the um, Seder, the Seder hoplite. Um, and I, I think of the, I think I even linked to, Gerard Fabiano's Twitter, where he just has been tweeting, or he was tweeting um, um, probably last month or two months ago about these just ridiculous red-white aggro decks he's built with, you know, first it started off as, you know, 16 lands and 15 lands, and then eventually it was 13 lands, and then finally the one I linked to is an image where he put together like a 10 land, like all one and two drop basically deck. Um, so I kind of had that in mind. I... Was that uh, before or after their um, Born on God's Shop? November. Okay, never mind. That was not Born. Nope. November <laughs> was Born out then? Nope. No. no. Okay, yeah, so it was just Theros. You're absolutely right. Um, so I, I still I ended up building a 15-land aggro deck. Uh, it was almost all one and two drops with just the white promos, my 1-4 drop, and uh, just a couple of three drops. And uh, I wanted to go completely all in and like cut even the three drops for uh, font two fontifiers just as like yeah <laughs> some some reach yeah yeah, um, yeah didn't get that crazy though so I would have done it <laughs> yeah I, I know you, you would have uh, so I built that deck and uh, it was pretty funny um, this is basically the story of every event I played in this weekend except for the two headed giant uh, since I didn't get to finish the event because I, uh, I wanted to go to the, the there's a Mavericks game on Saturday um, where uh, Vince Carter, uh, you know, he, he, he made a pretty, pretty decent shot. Anyway, um, so round one, my opponent, uh, he wins. He wins the die roll. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, not the best for my aggro deck, but uh, turn one planes yoke docks <laughs> just. Uh, <laughs> in the dark oh, versus my that was pretty oh, bad uh so bad. i was like i might have made a bad decision here uh but i won still so but that was cut short so you could go to the game uh that was a sound decision in in hindsight considering how awesome that game was 
Yeah, but I, I, I won the first two rounds of that deck, and it was it was fun. Um, it's that's that's the one thing I'm not ever sure on is just like how viable because uh, you could never. It, it seems like you never get a critical mass of you know really low drops for a sealed deck to actually make an aggro deck versus uh, draft. But if if you happen to do it, it seems it seems like a pretty good strategy just because everyone is basically building a dirtily mid range or even later game deck. Yeah. Um, no one and no one really prepares for the aggressive deck in sealed. So I, really? sometimes if I just happen to open a, an especially aggressive uh, pool, then I, I like to go with that strategy. Totally. Uh, but then after that, uh, on Sunday, did two headed giant. Yeah, you you were a part of that one, Joe. Uh, so we played in the two headed giant Sunday morning, um, and uh, Stephen chose the black. Uh, sealed pool because he wanted like just like we said on the last episode um, he wanted to make Doomwake Giant happen and um, I played the white one just because I felt like the uh, the Dawnbringer Charioteers is that the name of it yeah uh, that that I felt like that was the strongest pre-release card and I was like well it's, it's a starting point white typically is strong uh, so we'll start there and um, plus I figured having the white seeded pack would give us a couple good constellation things, uh, for, uh, for Steven and, uh, you know, just, uh, just a pretty, uh, solid choice overall. I felt, um, so, uh, uh, we opened all the mythics and, um, built accordingly. Um, all the mythics. So, yeah. So, uh, I, o- uh, we opened, uh, God, no, we didn't open a God pack. <laughs> we, no, we didn't open a God pack. But, there was uh, one god pack opened in my store. Oh, awesome! Really, that's cool. That is so yeah. rad. How how does that actually work in a tournament? Do you just can you just throw that in your deck? Do they replace? No, it they they're stuff? supposed to they're supposed to um you're supposed to go up to the to and they're supposed to give you another pack. Oh, to replace yeah. that. Now you do get to keep the pack that that you opened. Obviously, right. But they're supposed to give them a new pack. Right. Now my to said he could run it. Ha! Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, God. if I opened that, I would have just thrown it in there and just try to make it work. Five color, all the way. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, of course. And 04. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's going to be a bad deck, but still. Ah, oh, man. Gotta try just it. Do it. You well, do if it. you open the Commander Core as well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's called living a dream. Um, so I mean, if t- you get them all out, they all would turn on, I think. Yeah, they would. They do. They all turn on. <laughs> um, now, we did kind of. Uh, Get live the dream. Uh, we opened an Ajani, mm-hmm. uh, God's End. We opened a Pelucranos. Uh, so immediately it was like, okay, I guess I'm playing green white. Um, and uh, built a green white deck there. And then uh, we also opened a Metamai, the Ageless, uh, which Steven splashed blue for in his uh, black white deck. And uh, we did we did push the. Um, the constellation pretty hard. Um, and I feel like we got there. I feel like the deck was really good. Um, yeah. So it just constellation really... as mechanic will work in sealed then. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If you got the right cards, I mean like the cards individually are good. You get enough of them. I mean, maybe not so much in sealed itself as the like archetype, but like in two at a giant, we had 12 packs, you know, and we totally were able to have enough enchantments to really make it, uh, make it great uh, there are a couple cards in like regular sealed that well, you know you'll be able to get 
the constellation going a couple times. Um, well, the, I mean, the really cool thing about it is that in two head giant, like, so cards like grim guardian actually say, you know, each opponent loses one life. So if you have one grim guardian out and you, well, even when you drop him, uh, they're technically losing two life since you yeah. have, uh, two opponents. Yeah. That, then, that was uh, awesome. Uh, I mean, that's the same with, uh, with any of those cards, we really needed a gray merchant. <laughs> we, did. we didn't have any gray merchant, which was really unfortunate. Um, but like the thought render Lamia was also fine or thought, whatever thought render Lamia, mm-hmm. um, one that's each opponent discards a card. I mean, that was sick. We have an each opponent discard a card. Each opponent loses a life. I mean, there were just some really, uh, some really cool interactions there. Um, Underworld Coinsmith says, uh, each opponent. Yeah. So yeah, we that one's pretty those. good. And then we also, uh, starting game two, uh, we had a scholar of Athreos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because when we were first building, Steven was looking at, um, you were looking at blue, white, right? Is that what was going on? Or black, were, blue, I think. You were looking at blue, black, right? Yeah. So I had the scholar in the white pool and it was in the discards. It was in the stuff we weren't going to play because I was playing green, white. I was like, well, we're not going to play this. I stuck it aside. And then, like, after, like, round one, we were like, well, what can we do to make some changes? Maybe one or two cuts we can make. And um, we found the Scholar in the discarded white cards. He's like, <laughs> why am I not playing this? Like, I don't know, but I guess we got to play it now. And, uh, and I understand this is probably not a good um, measure of if it – did you guys do the play with um, – did you get in play Godsend or um, oh. a Johnny? Um, yes and yes. A Johnny was – I, I don't think Ajani made any difference when we actually played it. But yeah, we were losing. <laughs> yeah, we were losing. We didn't get to come back with that. But God's End uh, was incredible when we played it. Um, God's End is just um, is a pretty amazing card. Um, and, uh, and Well, you had the Vigilance Flyer. I had the Vigilance Flyer. Is... I slapped it on that, and uh, we, were, we were rocking and rolling. So uh, that was pretty much it. Um, it was really good. Um, if you open a God's End, it's like a reason to play white, I feel. Um, if white wasn't a reason to play white. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was really great. Um, you know, obviously, we all know how Pelucranos handles in uh, in Sealed. So that came down quite a few times and, and did some work. Um, but the God's End was, was really an awesome card. And uh, while we're at it, uh, Eagle of the Watch that it was equipped to was uh, pretty fantastic as well. So in our in our... Uh, four rounds. I mean, we went we went three one on the day for the two headed giants. So that was pretty solid. Round one, I don't remember very well. I don't remember a lot of things right now, just because I'm just really tired. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dale, what do you remember about our um about our event? I actually don't remember round one, just because we just won. I think we just basically we pretty much overpowered them. Um, yeah. But uh, round two, um. Was it round two or round four where we were really behind? But uh, oh, okay, um, we were really behind. We had we there were there were some really thrilling games of Magic because we were so behind on the board uh, in two of our three wins, and we just were able to push back and get there, and that and it felt really good. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it was like Underworld Coinsmith and uh, Scholar of Atheos were just. That was round four. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, regardless, those those cards are just busted. Two headed giant, and that's something I'm actually gonna, I guess, going forward, if I'm gonna play in 
two-headed giant pre-releases, I'm going to just do a quick search through the spoiler for each opponent, yeah. uh, just because those those effects are just so overpowered in that format. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, I think, uh, I actually made a note of it. I think I did 16 damage with uh, Underworld Coinsmith and Scholar Vathrios in one game. Why am I not surprised? You just dump down a bunch of creatures, the board stalls out, and then you have a bunch of mana, and it, it just puts a really uh, great clock on them. And I was I was always wondering why uh, Scholar of Aetherios said, you know, instead of like, you know, opponent loses one life, you gain one life. I was like, why does it say you gain life for each life, like, you know, life lost that way? Yeah. Uh, And then I was like, oh, okay, it's multiplayer. I I actually have a question. You said someone opened a a god pack at your store. Um, Yes. Did anyone open up Mana Confluence? Yes, we had okay. one person open up a mana confluence. One person out of how many? One was a regular, one was a foil. Out of how many players? A little over 50. 50 hmm. players, two mana confluences opened. These are not mythic rares. We're like really baffled by the lack of mana confluence um in our pre-release experience like we didn't play against one i would say the did you play against one the entire weekend steven i literally did not see one and i went to four (laughs) pre-releases i didn't see one i didn't even see a single mana confluence and uh we played in two events and i like traded and hung out and i did not and walked around and watched walk the floor I, i don't know what they're are they just not actually putting this was this card in april fool's joke was it like a late april fool's joke where i was like we printed this really sweet mana fixing psych nobody's gonna get it Is yeah it like- i think it's, it's just a small sample size but there's always those cards in each set where it's just like even like some of the like, uncommon ones where it's just like i don't ever see this card like i saw like three about the mythic John- uncommons yeah mythic uncommons mythic like like for me mana confluence is a mythic rare like i never saw and maybe people weren't playing it, but I even like you know I talked to several people, and no one opened one. I never opened one. Uh, no, yeah, no one I talked to had opened one, but I saw or talked to people that had opened a Johnny's at least three or four people, um, each of the gods. And for some reason, I did not see a single mana confluence, um, which I, I don't I don't know why that is. I think it's just it's just one of those cards where yeah, it just eluded me. It, maybe because I was looking for it, and I wanted to trade for it. Yeah. Oh, I forgot something from my pre-release experience. What? For the pre-release, one of the casual players brought in a bunch of unhinged and unglued decks. Nice. We're actually going to, you know, spoilers for our next episode. Um, We're playing in uh, Common Ground Games one year anniversary event next weekend uh, or this Mm -hmm. Sunday. And, um, one of the things that they're doing is an unhinged draft. We're going to plan that. We're going to cover that event um, nice. on the next episode. And we're also going to have the owner of Common Ground Games, Jameson, um, on the show. Uh, so that'll be really nice. cool. Nice. That'll be nice to hear him. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, just right now, want to say uh, thanks to Common Ground Games uh, for having us on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And also, um, you know, thanks for uh, the Jace that we're giving you uh, because it is provided by Common Ground Games. Uh, So their website's boardgamesdallas.com. You can check them out. Um, Come play Magic with us because that's where we play. Um, And uh, Anyways, the reason why I brought that up is because I got to cast Enter the Dungeon. 
Nice. That's right. You posted a picture of that on Twitter. Uh, yes. Totally rad. Um, speaking of Common Ground Games, um, one of the cool things Common Ground Games does is they do um, raffles during their pre-releases, and he gives away all kinds of sweet stuff. So he gave away, um, I think at each event, he gave away a set of the foil gods from uh, Born of the Gods. Um and he gave away a set of foil planeswalkers from Born of the Gods and Theros. Um, and uh, everyone who entered any of the events got a raffle ticket. And then also you could buy more raffle tickets. So I, with my one raffle ticket, won a set of the foil gods. from, or Not the gods. The set of the foil planeswalkers from Theros and Born of the Gods. So a, a Kiora... Um, an Ashiok, an Elspeth, and a Xenagos. Uh, pretty sweet. Pretty sweet for uh, a bonus to my entry fee. So I was kind of hyped about that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was kind of amazing. Um, so that was, that was really cool. And like, does the, the raffles and stuff. He, he does some of the craziest raffles. And he did those grab bags uh, that one day. I don't remember what, what that was. Was that game day or something? But he did those, mm-hmm. gra- those grab bags where it was like, there were so many ridiculous sweet foils and stuff that were given out that day. It was kind of awesome. I didn't throw in, but it sounded like everyone who threw down 20 bucks got like more than their money's worth. Jameson does lots of really unique stuff that I really enjoy. So, uh, we'll, we'll Sounds get like a good store. Yeah, it's a rad store. I really like it. So now, uh, for the solo event that was later in the afternoon, um, I kind of did something close to what Steven did in his Saturday event, and I played a pretty aggressive uh, red-white deck. Um, I played uh, – I must have had 11 two-drops in the deck, which was kind of amazing. I had no one-drops, which is kind of unfortunate, but um, a million two-drops, including two of the Mogus's uh, Warhounds mm-hmm. or whatever they're called um, – Sightless Brawler, uh, just like so much aggressive stuff. Um, And uh, I actually splashed black for an interaction that I thought was hilarious and wanted to exploit. So I opened an Athreos in my seated pack, which was sweet. So I wanted to play it because it's the pre-release and it had been fun to try. So I splashed black for that. And I also opened Timoret the murder king which i like to call Bur- mm. which i will like to call burger king so i opened burger king and i opened uh athreos um and if you think about the interaction between those two cards timoret says you know red and one sacrifice another creature timoret deals two damage to a creature or player and then athreos says whenever a creature dies your opponent you know choose an opponent they pay if they don't pay three life return it to the hand so i, I just loved the interaction of being like do you want to take five? No, probably not. Okay, get my creature back. Do you want to take five? Like, like I just thought it was a really cool interaction. Never actually came up. Um, so uh, I wound up going 2-2 two, two in, the, in the event. And I really should have been 3-1. Um, I was very frustrated with myself. It's totally my fault. Uh, and Steven was actually sitting right next to me. Also getting destroyed by his opponent, and um, I don't remember that part. Yeah, you were. I actually, no, you lost in turn five of extra turns versus Alec. Um, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. but 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 you at least lost due to uh, you know 
not due to your own stupid, simple play mistake. You know, Alex, Alex, a very good player and just managed to pull it out in the last turn. Uh, so I had my opponent at three and I was at three. My opponent had claim of Erebos on a wing steed rider, right? And I, we had kind of had the board clogged up. So he was kind of just pinging me for two, pinging me for two, pinging me for two. And he's at, well, he's at nine. I'm at five. I have two big flyers that can kill his creature. So I attack with both of them. He takes all the damage, takes me to three. One of my creatures were flying because of a fleet feather sandals, right? All I needed to do was get one of my two flyers in the next turn for lethal. And um, I had a Mogus's Warhound out that had dropped off of something because I guess he killed it or whatever. So it didn't need to attack that turn. So it's sitting there, and I've got another creature that could just chump that it didn't need to worry about. And um, all I had to do was move my Fleet Feather Sandals over, and I would have been able to block his creature and then win. So... I didn't, and at the end of turn, because I wasn't even thinking about it, because I'm at five, he goes, ping you for two, which is what he'd been doing every turn. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm at three. He untaps, and he goes, attack for three. I was like, oh, right, Wingsteed Rider also attacks. I did not think about that, because I was just like, he had claimed Averbos like four times in a row, and I'm like, all right, you know, he's going to claim for Averbos, I'll go to one life, and then I win the next turn. All I had to do was move the equipment. I had the mana up. Like, I needed three mana to block because I had an oppressive raise on my creature. But that's okay. Because I had five mana. I could have used two to move the equipment and then three to block. I was, I, you know, I wasn't, like, salty at Josh. Because Josh is an awesome dude and I love Josh. You know? But, like, I was so tilted. I really was. I sat there for about a good 15, 20 minutes. Totally tilted. Um, but I didn't let it affect me. I just kind of rolled it off and just kept going. But I did have a moment where I was just like really trying. I was like doing everything in my power not to beat myself up over this because it was just like just the stupidest mistake I could have ever made. Um, hated it. Was furious at myself. Um, turned it around the following round, um, against Mary who was playing all the enchantments. Plays the Oakheart Dryad. And then plays something to trigger Constellation for the next six turns in a row. I was like, are you serious? How do you have all these enchantments? I was getting so frustrated. Um, but I wound up pulling that match out in three games. Um, and then the, the last round, um, my deck did what it was supposed to do once, which was awesome. Um, and then didn't twice. So I wound up going 2-2. Um, overall, you know... I don't love to play the aggressive deck in sealed, but it's what I had available to me. So I played it. Do I regret trying to splash black? Yes. I hate splashing. Um, I want to play two colors. I want to play bad cards over a good splash. Um, so I, I wish I wouldn't have splashed. Um, I wish I would have played red, white, straightforward. And I wish I would have... Um, not made stupid play mistakes. That was my biggest, uh, my biggest problem. That is one thing I actually agree um, on the gods. Uh, not with you, Joe. No, no, not with you, with Daniel. Uh, that I think for for the multicolored gods, at least in uh, both Born and um, Journey, that they're just not worth it unless you're those exact two colors and you think you can actually start swinging with that god eventually. Yeah. 
because um, just most I of the mean, effects are just not worth it. Like, because they, they basically just reuse an enchantment with those effects, and that's just for the most part, I wouldn't play those cards. Yeah, I mean, if 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 I was doing blue and, and I had like open up Karanos, okay, uh, yeah, I was I would have played that immediately. That's one of the, one of those cards I think is actually good just as the enchantment. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, actually, that that's one I do agree with you with. That that's one I would actually splash for. I would not have run the Athreos or the Timoret in uh, in like a PTQ, but uh, you know, at, pre- at a pre-release. Sure. You know, it was it was fun to try to run the god, which is why I did it. So moving on before Daniel loses his internet connection, thanks to Common Ground Games in Dallas, uh, we are uh, giving Daniel a Jace the Mind Sculptor for asking us the most awesome question um, on uh, Twitter. So we had people submit questions to us over two episodes using the hashtags Brimaz, King of Arescos, and Ban Moderns. The winner of the, the, the contest comes on the show and asks us the question on the show. Uh, so here he is. And uh, Daniel, ask us your question. So my question is this. What would you guys say to someone who is wanting to go to the next level from FNMs to PDQs? And I'm looking for what, how you guys prepare... Um, what you guys bring with you to the PDQs, if you guys um, bring snacks with you or something like that, what you guys do for PTQs, if you guys do them, or if you don't. Yeah, no, we, we totally do. We've been doing a lot of PTQs lately, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great question, and it's a, the reason why we picked the, the question is because it's one that I feel we can answer, because uh, we, uh, you know, we have some experience uh, making that transition, um, so, uh, just first of all, um, my advice to you is to sell the Jace we're giving you. Probably not happening. No, the reason why, I, why, um, it's just a regular Jace, right? Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah. Regular Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh-huh. I was actually, um, about a f- um, few weeks ago had decided I was actually going to try to build a legacy deck and I was... Really looking at um, blue, white, red. Sure. And then you guys contacted me. And it's like, oh, you want a Jace? I'm like, all right, that's awesome. And that's cool. <laughs> and if you're looking to build um, Legacy, that's cool. Now the thing is, Legacy isn't a sanction. Isn't a PTQ. I know it's not a sanction. So, so, um, so well, um, it's sanctioned, but it's not a PTQ format. Format. Yeah. Um, what I would do is like. I don't know which decks, you know, you're playing in standard, but, you know, one of the things that I feel is really important um, in terms of transitioning from FNM to PTQs is a lot of players who play strictly at FNMs are um, very hostile towards um, some of the more like top tier decks and some of the net decks and things like that. Like a lot of PTQ, a lot of FNM players, you know, want to play their own brews and, um, I mean, that's commendable. I think that playing your own deck is, for years, for me, that is what defined having fun playing Magic, uh, was brewing your decks and playing your decks and not net decking. I still have um, the first Psychotog I ever opened in a pack torn in half in my trade binder uh because that's what i did because that was like the first like real big net deck that was the deck that like went around and everybody was playing it 
Um, and when I was opening my packs of Odyssey, I ripped that card and threw it in the corner and kept opening my packs. And, um, and I still have that to this day. And I used to always keep that in my binder. It's still on the first page of my trade binder. Um, so, so one of the things that I recommend is to be less hostile towards the net decks. I mean, it's, if you want to play, if you want to win a PTQ, you have to play, the best decks like you have to play like either i mean if you i mean you can play a deck that beats the best so what you're saying is you're you should play something that you can win with right don't bring a knife to a gunfight yep really i mean so so do you recommend if they me for instance i actually i play mono blue and and standard and that's a solid deck yeah and i also play i got into merfolk before it spiked yeah, and everything. That's good. And um, I play that in modern. Uh huh. And those are, I understand that those are two decent decks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Especially, I mean, I, I would say, I don't know, probably more so the mono blue devotion than the merfolk. Is that right, Stephen? Oh, for competitive decks? Yeah. I think they're both perfectly competitive. Are they? Uh, that's yeah. good. I, I don't know Merfolk's, as much about modern. Than yeah, merfolk's competitive in modern. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so you, I mean, it sounds like you've got the basis. For like you know being competitive in in modern and standard. Um, now uh, one thing to remember is that now at least this year two seasons out of the year um, for PTQs are sealed. Yep, so and it's still sealed. Actually, I'm thinking about going to the PTQ. At, um, I think it's A plus games and Columbus is having a PTQ in two weeks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not trying to give a plus games any, uh, any free press here. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably the first step actually is, um, on the wizards website, each, uh, PTQ season, they put out a giant, um, schedule of basically every PTQ in the world and its location. So what I do whenever they put out the new one is I'll just search for anything in like Texas, Oklahoma and Louisiana if I want to go like visit my brother. And then like if I'm going on like vacation or if I'll be on the road, uh, I'll just happen. I'll I'll, I'll actually search those locations as well just to see if I'll happen to be in the same place while they're having one. So, I mean, that's the first step is know which PTQs you can reasonably get to. And then obviously the format. Plan ahead. Um, yeah, like like, <laughs> like no no week at least a week or two in advance. Yeah. if it uh, if it's somewhere you want to be, and then you know, so you can actually schedule rides and um you know a place to stay if it's if it's far away enough uh, accordingly. Yeah. Um, and then for whether it's standard or sealed, I'll always try to bring water, snacks, uh, bananas, energy drinks, uh, pin, life pad, um, sleeves, and then extra sleeves, uh, dice. And um, an empty deck box that I know I'm going to put just my standard deck in or just my uh, sealed pool in. Yeah. And I'll throw all this in a backpack. Yeah. First of all, if you want to compete in PTQs, learn to love the PTQ formats. Like, because I have a friend who's a very competitive Magic player, Alec, and uh, he's like, I hate sealed, I hate sealed, you know? But, like, I mean, he's a really good player. He made day two of the GP we all played in, um, and, you know, he can do really well. But, you know, saying I hate sealed and kind of giving yourself that mental block takes you, like, literally takes you out of six months of competitive play a year. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I really hate modern as a format. Um, I don't have fun playing it. I just really don't enjoy it. So, I mean, you know, but I, and I need to, I need to get over that 
and learn to love modern so that I can play and be competitive and play those formats and, and play in those tournaments. Now, the second step after you learn to love the formats is to practice the hell out of them. Like seriously, like, like the best thing about Moto is the fact that you can go on there and hop into a, a sealed daily event like every night. Like, and I did that like for like a week straight before the sealed P- the last sealed PTQ we played in. Like almost every night I hopped on Moto, I joined a sealed queue, um, I played in it. Any any cards worth any money I sold off for tickets and then played in another event the next day. I just kept doing that and doing that and doing that and I did terrible in the event anyway. It didn't do any good. But that's the other thing is that if you do not win you're going to realize only one person's going to win this entire tournament. You know, you're playing in an event that you know, you're either playing for packs, which why are you spending all this time playing for some packs, you know, or you're playing for that invite. You really want to win that invite. That's all that really is going to come out of playing in a PTQ. Uh, so is that worth it to you? You know, like how important is that invite to you is, is another question you have to ask yourself because like packs are great, but is it worth the time and effort to win some packs if you don't win the event, you know, um, you know, for me, that for me, it is because I want to win a PTQ. I want to play on the pro tour. One of the optional supplies, if you're going to a sealed uh, PTQ is you might want to bring your own lands just in case oh. you're you, in case you're OC. I don't, I don't know. This one's optional. Um, but if you're OCD or, you know, there actually is informational value, um, to having all, you know, of the same basic land art. Um, so this is an incredibly small edge, but, um, also if you're just used to like, uh, with standard or any kind of constructed deck, I play Zendikar, the full art lands. One of the things, especially when you're playing right now with thought sees in the format, they see your hand, they see like three swamps. Then you play a swamp. That's a different art. They're going to know you drew a different swamp, you know? Um, and it's just one of those things that sounds stupid, but just, you know, have all your arts and your additions match. Like if you're going to play thought seizes, I'm not, I'm not doing this right now, but if you're going to play thought seizes, have them all be the same, you know, have them be non foil. Um, and it's just, there's just a lot of things like that. Uh, we're just having like the, the cards all look the same. Um, really is, uh, important in terms of like not giving away too much information to your opponent. One other thing, um, that's, not going to be on that PTQ schedule, but also look up uh, any GPs that are relatively nearby um, or within like a drive that, that you and your friends might want to go to because uh, in terms of value, in terms of the number of invites per participant, I don't know how large the PTQs are in your area, but um, around here they're, they're regularly over, you know, 100, 150. And if you actually do the math, uh, depending on the attendance at the P at the, the GP uh, there's actually, Actually, more invites per person at a at a at, at, at a lot of GPs than some of our local PTQs. So uh, just keep that in mind. If your if your goal is to qualify for the Pro Tour, uh, a GP is actually um, probably one of the better ways to, to go about doing it. One one thing I, I I do recommend also for constructed formats, and it seems like you're on the right path there, is if I would I would default towards just playing a deck that is first competitive. So um, if you're not sure if it's if it is uh, competitive or not, I, w- I would you know 
if you, if you don't even know what deck to play, I would first start off with just trying to test amongst your friends uh, all the competitive decks that have top aided, you know, that constructed formats, um, turn of, any kind of major tournament in that format recently. Mm-hmm. And then once you do, uh, and you, you, you that obviously indicates that it's relatively competitive, I, you know, just whichever one you feel the most comfortable with that you feel like you can play at the highest level or that you feel like you're having fun. And usually those two are, are correlated with each other uh, since you tend to pay a little bit more attention when you're not uh, bored out of your mind playing a, a deck that makes you miserable. Uh, right. you know, mistakes tend to creep in there. Um, you know, just practice that and practice it against as many different decks as you possibly can to the point where uh, remembering your triggers just becomes natural. Cause that, uh, just having that kind of muscle memory is actually going to become pretty important uh, if you're going to go, you know, deep in a PTQ that goes, you know, seven or eight rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, we've we've dis- already discussed on the, or I don't even know if we have discussed on the on the podcast, but uh, the last constructed uh, PTQ I went to, I actually I was playing Bird, which is actually a deck I like to play, um, and I defaulted to it because I couldn't decide on a deck basically. Uh, it was a standard one, and uh, I like I actually did lose my winning in versus what was otherwise a, a favorable matchup, uh, Mono Black Devotion, uh, just because I forgot uh, my Chandra's Phoenix triggers. Um, and it's just a deck I hadn't played in paper. That's another thing. Um, Pete, uh, this is where I do a lot of my testing is on Moto. Uh, Moto's great for testing in terms of quantity, uh, but it does uh, have... It is lacking in, in quality, I would say, just because the metagame is just markedly different than anything you're going to see in real life it's going to be a lot more yeah it's going to be a lot more you guys do recommend is um that you you take a deck that you know yeah that's that's that that would be the default i would say yeah or take a deck that if you don't know the deck take a deck that plays like you want to play and play it until you know it you know, and, and, and what Steven's getting at here is to play, even if you test a lot on Moto to learn to pick a deck, play some games in paper because the mechanics are really important. Like I, I, Absolutely. Choose, I, I treat testing a lot of times um, almost like 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 test driving a car like like I'm, I'm worried about like my scry triggers. How, here's how I handle a scry trigger. Like, I'm serious. It sounds stupid, but like, you just like, you know, when you're playing with those scry lands, like pick up the card, look at it, figure out where it goes. Like, so that way you're not like accidentally grabbing two. Like when you have your sleeves, you're using the same sleeves that you, that you play test with, you know, you are like, you know, using the same kind of sleeves, always buy new sleeves, sleeve up your deck brand new for a tournament. But, um, so you know, what, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what type of sleeves do you guys recommend? KMC Hypermat sleeves. Until recently, I was playing um, other sleeves. I can't even remember. I think they were Ultra Pros. Yeah, I was playing the Ultra Pro Black Mat sleeves. Um, the Hypermats shuffle like a dream. They're amazing. Um, they're my favorite sleeves, and I don't think I'm ever turning back. The yeah, I use, I use Dragon Shields a lot myself. Dragon Shields have a lot, uh, or have a lot of endurance, but I feel like these shuffle even better. Well, the um, way we shuffle is we do the uh, side, like the side, yeah, which yeah, is what I the do old... side shuffle as well. And the Dragon Shields work pretty good for that too, for real. So I don't know. I mean, that's gonna be good. You know, the thing is, the most important thing, and this is what I said this on like a couple episodes ago, is you know. 
regardless of what sleeves we recommend, play the sleeves that you're most comfortable shuffling. Because when you're in a long event, the last thing you want to have to think about is, oh man, my sleeves aren't shuffling right. You know, like you just want to do everything else and have it be automatic. The only thing you need to worry about is your play. So, um, you know, play the sleeves that shuffle best for you and use those and keep using them. So that way you're always like, don't switch into like a new brand of sleeves, like the day of an event, because it's going to throw you off so bad when it shouldn't even be something you need to think about. Um, yeah. So that, that was the, to kind of complete my thought there, uh, from previously about moto testing is mm -hmm. it's good for just quantity, like knowing how a deck, like what its game plan is. But in terms of like, uh, how to beat certain matchups, that's just not the best because you you just get like, you know, random opponents basically. Like I think for one of the previous constructed events, um, I did like 20 matches with that Naya aggro deck. And I don't think I played Esper once or yeah, I didn't play Esper once. Um, and that's just not representative of what people are actually going to bring to an event. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, for me, the, the main things uh, that, that I am focusing on currently for um, PTQs going forward, at least in construction formats, is, uh, well, number one, getting enough sleep. That actually started to wear on me uh, the last yeah. uh, PTQ where uh, the last one or two, I haven't, we didn't get that far, so it, it didn't actually get to me. But uh, by the last round, I was just <laughs> falling asleep. I think I got uh, five or six hours, and then it was, you know, you got to wake up early and it was an hour and a half drive to uh, Waco or wherever it was. And so by round eight, I was just, I was just beat. Ooh, that is uh, a long drive. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I just forgot a very common trigger and uh, yeah, it cost me, uh, you know, getting into the top eight. So, right. um, you know, just get playing sleep, focus, remember your triggers. That's probably <laughs> the best, uh, best uh, advice I can give. Don't get drunk the night before. Um, eat breakfast. No, I'm serious. Like, like no, 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 I hear that all the time. I, you listen to the podcasts, people's podcasts, and you always get to hear the stories of, oh, I drank too much beforehand, and yeah, there's like absolutely no reason to be doing that. Like, it's it, like, yeah, you know what? Save your drinking for after you win the PTQ. You know, like, don't like drink yourself into a hangover the night before, you know, what are you celebrating? You're celebrating the fact that you just ruined your chances of winning a PTQ. Like go like celebrate after you win, you know, or even, or even drink to, I mean, I don't drink, but like even drink to like drown your sorrows after you scrub out, but don't, but don't drink the night before just because, you know, whatever, you know, like, well, like, What's the point of that? Like you can do whatever you want. Just realize that it's inconsistent with the goal of winning the tournament the next day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Get sleep, eat something in the morning. I tend to bring, this is my main thing lately. My jam is not bringing jam, but bringing bread, peanut butter, and Nutella to every tournament. And then like when I'm hungry in the middle of the day, I just stop. I sit oh, down. Oh, no jam. I make a <laughs> peanut butter and Nutella sandwich because Nutella or peanut butter don't need to be refrigerated. Carry them around with you all day. Eat them when you want. It's delicious. It tastes like dessert and it's got protein and it fills you up and you're good to go for the next round. I think that's about it, right? That's all I can think of. <laughs> cool. Does that help? Yeah, that answers a lot of my questions. Um, do you like try to get a group of people that you would constantly go with to PTQs 
Do you just try to set something up like that, or do you guys just say, hey, I'm going to a PGQ, who wants to come with me? Well, I'm always in. <laughs> it's pretty much. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, there's this li- – I've been pretty on top of this the last couple seasons. Like, standard season, I had some stuff going on. I couldn't actually attend any of those. I think it was just wound up where I couldn't get off work or whatever. But uh, the last two sealed seasons, I've been like, Steven – Here's the list. These are the events we can get to. Do you want to go or not? And he's like, I can go to this one, this one, this one. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go to those. And then, like, you know, take off work in advance. Um, Because, I mean, I work on weekends most of the time because I work retail. So, you know, take off work in advance. Make sure everything's planned out. Um, You know, so me and Steven have mostly just been going to the PTQs, right? I don't think we've Mm -hmm. actually gone with anyone else. Um, but we did have a, a, a decent little crew together for like a couple of the GPs and stuff. Um, yeah, we, 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 uh, tend to test with the same group. Yeah. Um, we tend to have the same players together to test with. Now here's another thing to tell you. So, uh, just one more thing about this. I don't know, like you probably don't have every good deck built in standard, right? No. Right. God, no, I'm in college still. Right. So that's really, I can't afford that. Right. <laughs> but you have your deck and you're pretty set on it. And you want to play it against the best decks. Well, here's what I do um, to play test against the field if I don't have enough friends with the decks. Um, and especially when I'm brewing and I want to just like test decks when like a new set comes out. I will take a pile. I have a, like a separate pile of crappy commons that I'm never going to use, right? That aren't you write on them, don't you? I don't just write on them. So this is what I do. Is I write on the backs of them. Okay, so the back is a blank slate, basically, that you can write anything you want on. So I'll write the converted mana cost, the name of the card, and then just like a couple reminders, like power toughness. Like if I need to know something about a card's abilities, um, I'm not looking at that. I will um, uh, I will just, uh, you know, write that stuff down. And then for the lands, I'll write a big star. On, I don't need to necessarily write the name of the land, but I'll put a big star on it so I know it's a land. So when I draw my opening seven, I can see how many lands I have pretty easily without having to like write land and read them all. Just kind of as a shortcut. And then like if it's a plains, I'll circle the white. You know, I'll circle the white mana, the white symbol on the back of the card. If it's a mountain, I'll circle the red symbol. If it's a shock land, I'll just like write a big star, circle the red and the white, and write shock. You know what I mean? So I'm not like writing out the full name. There's a lot of shortcuts you can do. And I'll build like entire gauntlets of decks just using written on cards. It takes a little longer than sleeving up a deck if you have the cards, but it saves you literally a thousand dollars building a gauntlet. Um, and, and that way you have the, the decks ready to go. Um, and, and, and it's just a really uh, nice way to do that. You know, the first person I ever saw doing this was Pat Chapin. Um, I was at like GPDC or something and I saw him testing a deck with like Rise of the Eldrazi cards. Uh, I think it was before that set was legal. Like he had like Eldrazi's in his deck and he was like testing the deck. Uh, and I was like, that's a really great idea. So like, you know, credit to Chapin for, um, for kind of giving me that idea and just seeing him doing that, uh, in person. That's literally everything I had about that. Awesome. So, uh, Daniel, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for coming on and spending the time with us and sharing your experiences and dealing with Steven, sending us links. To look at. <laughs> uh, 
while while we're trying to be serious. Look at me trying to act like I'm the serious one. Cool. So awesome. So thanks for being on. Uh, we're gonna hang up with you and wrap up the show. Uh, we'll let yeah. You... Well, thank you for letting me be on. Awesome. I mean, it was, just, it was a little bit of a shock when you guys sent me the message. I was very, very just like, what? What? <laughs> Oh, I'm glad so. you were able to join us. Uh, it was fun talking to you, and um, good luck. Let us know if you have any uh, any progress in uh, in getting to the PTQs and having success there. Take it easy, all right? You too. Yeah, thanks have for coming on. Cool. So uh, we're going to probably wrap up here now. Um, if uh, you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us, yoMTGtaps at gmail.com. Um, you can hit us up on Tumblr, uh, yoMTGtaps.tumblr.com. Of course, you can hit our website, IWantMyMTG.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at OMGWTFBHJFTW. Steven is at M00NPI. Uh, the show is at Yo MTG Taps on Twitter. We've got a Facebook group. You can hit us up on Facebook and like the show, even though we never really use it because I hate Facebook. Um, and uh, you could also just uh, open your door and you can yell really loud. Uh, and if I hear you, I'll yell back. I'll be like, yeah, I heard you. And, but I don't think that I don't know. There's that's a very there's a limited range for that one. We're also uh, in the heart of the cards of any deck anywhere. That's right. That's where and, you'll find and, us. Um, yeah, you can you can uh, you can reach us by by searching deep inside yourself for something special. <laughs> Whenever you need a top deck, we'll be there. <laughs>